John chapter 1, and then Colossians chapter 1. John 1, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 14 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 14 And the word became flesh and lived amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John, that's John the Baptist, testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Now turn to Colossians chapter 1. It's a little later on in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with uh, the Bible, then somebody close to you might be able to help you find it or share their Bible with you. A man wrote this letter whose name was Paul, and he wrote to a church in Asia Minor, a place called Colossae. And talking about Jesus, verse 15, he says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Where do we go when things fall apart? What holds us together when our world is falling apart? That's what I said before the mic was on, if you didn't hear me. And I guess... Many of you here or many watching online will know that there is a Christian answer to that question, which I'll come to in a moment or two, and you won't be surprised by it. But when those around the world, those outside of Christian faith, when their lives fall apart, maybe that's some of you or some of you watching online, where do you turn? What holds you together when everything is falling apart? There are lots of different answers to that question. Some people will say, well, I will try harder. I'll do more. I'll see if I can get myself together. I'll sort myself out. Favorite phrase in our house when I was growing up, sort yourself out. 
We'll try harder. We'll do everything that we can to make it all work because we think that actually in the end it's us that has to fix the problem. Or maybe, and this is a problem here in Northern Ireland, isn't it? We drown it out with a bottle. We'll drink, we'll do something to to get away from the fact that our, our lives are falling apart. We'll hide it, we'll drown it out with more of something, more drugs, more money, more uh, working, more being away from home, more booze, more anything. And the hope that if we do enough of it, we'll not be able to hear the noise of the crumbling of our dreams or our aspirations around us. Except we always run out of the thing that we just keep using. Whether it's a relationship or money or power, we'll end up realizing it's not going to satisfy us. Or we run away from it. We just leave, we put it in a box, we head somewhere else, we try a fresh start. And many of you will have discovered that when you try a fresh start without dealing with the issue, the issue comes with you. You just end up having to face it again. You just end up having to deal with it again. Or we ignore it, we have ostrich syndrome. We'll put our head in the sand and think, well, if I pretend it isn't there, then I won't need to worry about it. I won't need to be anxious about it. I recently watched a, 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 a documentary on a, a bit of research that I was doing for something else in which a fella who had a parking fine, 70 pounds or 65 pounds or something, ignored it. And in the end, he was confronted with fines and costs that ranged into five and a half thousand pounds. And when the guy that was trying to help said, why did you keep running away from it? He said, well, I just thought that if I ignored it, it would go away. But it never goes away. You know those red letters that come through the door? There's no point pretending they're not coming. That difficult conversation, that awkward moment, that unavoidable reality, there's no point pretending that it's not there and others will fight it. They'll get angry, they'll get aggressive, they'll get defensive. All of that is the way in which other people deal with what happens when our lives fall apart. What happens in a Christian's life when things are falling apart? What holds us together? Well, we, if you're not a Christian this evening, I'm assuming that you may guess what I'm about to say. It is God and his grace and his mercy and his love that holds us together. It is his promise to walk with us, to hold us, to protect us, to nurture us that holds us together. It is the reality that he has said that he is able to help us that holds us together. Christians believe fundamentally that we hold on to the reality that God is holding on to us. We believe that God knows and sees us. That he understands what we're going through, that he knows what we're facing and that he's able to help. We believe, secondly, that he hasn't abandoned us, that whatever we go through, he will be there with us. <clears throat> he's promised that he's not going to walk away. Christians believe that we can face anything, that we can come through it, and it doesn't have to define us, it can refine us, because through God's power, we can face anything and be changed by it, but not be destroyed by it. The Apostle Paul, in two different letters that he wrote, said that in different ways. In one that he wrote to Roman Christians, he said, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He goes on to list a whole range of things. You can read it in Romans chapter 8. And then in another letter that I was preaching about last week to the 
a group of Christians in Philippi, he says, I have discovered a secret um, in all things. Um, I am not controlled by them. I am not mastered by them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christians believe that. We believe that God and Jesus Christ is strong enough and powerful enough to help us and that we're not left abandoned or alone and we don't have to be destroyed by the things that we go through. It's a conviction that Christians hold to. We believe that we are not alone. We're promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. That when we pass through fires, God will be with us. When we go through um, strong torrents of conflict and pain, God will be with us. We can face something that is destroying us because we know that God will finish what he has begun in us. That he's not going to walk away halfway through the plan. He's going to finish the job. He's going to help us to end up being all that he wants us to be. And we remember that the story that we are in as Christians has an end. An end in which there will be no more sorrow or tears or heartbreak or pain or sadness or loss or fear or anxiety or death because it's all been defeated by Jesus Christ. Now you might stop and think that's the fastest sermon I've ever heard you preach. But I've said all of that because I think that most people could guess that Christians would believe those things in one way or another. But why do we believe them? Why do we have that confidence in Jesus? And I know that many of you will understand that, but that's what I want to explore with you this evening. And that's why I asked you to read the two passages of Scripture that we read together. Because in John chapter 1, the beginning of John's gospel, written by one of Jesus' closest friends, a man called John, and in Colossians chapter 1, written by a man who was converted to faith in Jesus Christ by a man called Paul, we discover something of the reason why we believe all those things, that God is in Jesus, that he's working in Christ, that he's with us and for us, and that he's strong enough, and all of those things. And it's, it can feel like a philosophical idea, but it's not. And it's a very simple thing. There are just three ideas that I want to very briefly lay at your feet this evening on this balmy summer evening. Here's why we believe that when our lives are falling apart, God can hold us together in Jesus Christ. Because of who Jesus is, because of the position that he holds, and because of what he has done in us. So turn, first of all, in your thinking with me, to John's gospel, those two passages of scripture that I wrote. Everybody has something that drives their worldview. Everybody has something that um, helps them to, um, to, to think through who they are and what they are and why they believe what they believe. Christianity has at its heart a conviction about who Jesus Christ is. In the English Bibles that you will have read, you will have heard the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There's a profoundly important statement about God in Jesus Christ in those words. And you could miss it if you're not careful because you could hear the word word and assume, well, that just means something spoken. That just means a kind of word that comes out of our mouths. The Greek word that is used there in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God is the word logos. And actually it means <clears throat> the reason behind all things. The one word is very hard to translate. It means the logic that holds the world together. 
like the spiritual and non-visible DNA that holds the entire universe on its axis and in its place. The power, the reason, the strength, the sense, the purpose, the meaning that holds every atom in the world in place has always been there. And in our English Bibles, we describe or translate the word logos as the word. John, Jesus' friend, describes this idea. He says, the thing that makes everything together has, hold together has always been. The thing that holds everything in place has always been. And he goes on in those first five verses to say some things about it. He says, first of all, this is the thing from which life comes. Did you hear the words? Read them again with me. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. So there's nothing anywhere in the universe that doesn't have its existence somehow is dependent on this thing. He hasn't named it yet. He says the, the power and the logic and the reason and the strength behind everything. And he repeats himself twice. And that's what he's talking about. And he says then, and this thing, whatever it is, brings life, sustains life, holds life together. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. He goes on in verse five to talk about it again. And he says this, and he says, this logos, this reason, this purpose, this power, this strength, not only brings life, it brings light. And it brings light in such a powerful way that no matter what happens, the darkness can never put it out. It's a word that is one of my favorite words in the entire world that describes that moment. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it or understand it. It's written in a way that means always has, always does, and always will. And it means comprehend, understand. Some of you have heard me say this before. Um, defeat, diminish, control, reduce, alter, all of those things. So this one little phrase, Paul says, uh, John says about Jesus, about the Logos here, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness never has, never can and never will understand it, defeat it, diminish it, change it, alter it, remove it, reduce it, comprehend it, shift it. Nothing can change it. Now those that are listening to these words from John would have been people that were from a Greek background and a Jewish background and they would have been excited about that. Because they thought about such things. He hasn't named it yet, but you and I know the end of this chapter. In verse 14, he begins to hone in. That's the second bit of John 1 that I read to you. And he says, and that logos, that power and reason and logic, that holding together of all things, became a human being. Took on flesh. And Greek means um, tabernacled himself or canvassed himself in flesh and dwelt amongst us. And then John delivers the killer punch in verse 18. He says, grace and truth. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. And he makes a quite simply remarkable claim. 
that, would, that thing that holds everything together is Jesus Christ. That's why Christians believe that when we go through something, when we fall apart, he can hold us together because he is the one that holds everything together. And that's not a, an idea that developed 400 years after the New Testament. It's not an idea that was dreamt up in councils and creeds and confessions 300 or 400 years after Jesus had been born and died and resurrected. The early church believed that. John wrote this gospel probably around 80 or 90 AD. Within 50 or 60 years of Jesus dying, as he opens his letter, as he begins to explain the good news of who Jesus Christ is, here's where he starts it. The DNA that holds all of life together, that makes sense of everything, without which nothing can exist, became a human being, and his name is Jesus. That's what Christians believe. If you are a Christian, that's what we believe. Paul picks that idea up in Colossians chapter 1 in the verses that I read to you. And actually, interestingly enough, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 20 are probably the words of an old hymn. And he's talking about Jesus. I wonder, was he aware of what John was thinking or reflecting on? John probably hadn't written his gospel by the time Colossians was written. But when Paul writes about Jesus, look at how similar the language is. Only he goes even further. He says things that are remarkable. He is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God. The word image there means exactly the same as. It's not like he's not real. It's not like he's not really God. Paul says, we believe that Jesus is God. He goes on to say the fullness of God lives in him. That he is the visible expression of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, Christians say, look at Jesus. They don't say, look at that person or that person or that person. We say God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God's compassion is seen in him. His mercy is seen in him. And then he describes him as the firstborn of all creation. That means that somehow all of life is rooted in him. Exactly what John has said. Everything is rooted in him. And then here's the verse, second bit of um, Colossians 1, verse 16. For in him, listen, all things in heaven and on earth, that's everything. Everything you can see and everything that you can't see, all things in heaven and in earth were created in him. Things visible and invisible. And then he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, it's as if he's ramming the point home. He says, every spiritual force, every power, every dominion, every authority is subjected to him. That's why we believe when our lives fall apart, he can hold us together because he is the power behind everything. All things have been created through him and for him. This is Remarkable language. Every moment of time and history, he stands at the center of it. Every atom, he stands at the center of it. 
There's never been a moment when this second person in the Trinity that we know has come to earth as Jesus Christ did not exist. The Son of God, the power, the reason, the strength is the one around which everything revolves. That's our doctrinal position. That's what we believe. And every bit of life when it is lived properly is for him. Then listen to verse 17. He himself is before all things. He existed before the world began. He is also higher. Before also means above. He is higher. He is more authoritative. He is more powerful. He is wiser. He is stronger. He is greater. He is before all things. Isn't just about time. It's about power and dominion and authority. He is before all things. In other words, he comes first in every sense of the word. And in him, all things hold together. Another way of translating that is in him, everything finds its purpose or everyone finds their purpose. That's why we believe that when our lives are falling apart, he can hold us together. Those first three verses, 15, 16, and 17 in Colossians chapter 1, tell us that Jesus Christ sits above the universe, the whole created order, the whole shebang. Now, that's quite an important thing to hold on to when your world is falling apart. That's why we believe that he can hold us together. But then listen to verses 18 and 19 and 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. So if you're a Christian, you're part of a community, and the community is called the church. There are different words for the church in the Bible. Sometimes it's called the family of God. Sometimes it's called the vine. Sometimes it's called an army. Sometimes it's called a field. Here it is called a body. And Paul says, this power behind the universe is the intelligent head of the community that claim to be Christians. He's in charge of us. So not only do we need him when everything is falling apart because he holds us together, but it is in his body that we find one another and the strength to be held up when everything seems to be falling apart because it's in his body that we are connected to him. It's a remarkable thing. He is the head of the body, the church. That means that he is the most important part of the church. It means that he is the center of the church. It means that he is the ruler of the church. It means that he's the instructor of the church. It means that he is the final decision maker in the church. And then what does Paul say? He is the beginning. And what does he mean by that this time? Some of you have had your lives fall apart because you've lost people that you've loved. Listen to how he describes this beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from amongst the dead. What's that mean? That means that in Jesus Christ, what we see is the old world, the old order has been displaced by something new. 
Here's what Christians believe about that. They believe, we believe, I believe, that when Jesus Christ died, he genuinely died. He stopped living. His body was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, every follower of Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. Through his ministry, he touched some people, four actually, who died and were brought back to life. But those four that he touched and were brought back to life died again. Jesus will never die again. Firstborn from amongst the dead means that he has tasted death and conquered death and will never be defeated by death. I will never go to his funeral. I will never weep at his graveside. I will never have to say goodbye to him. I will never be separated from him. I will not be torn away from him. Death can't take me out of his presence or him out of mine. Nothing can change that. That's why we believe that when our worlds are falling apart, he holds us together. But why use the word firstborn? Because in Greek, here's what Paul is saying. Because this has happened to him, it is an absolute assurance for everybody who comes after him. Now here's the bit that's unpopular in modern culture. Here's the bit that's difficult. Here's the bit that you might not like online or in this room. But the Bible teaches that every single person who has ever lived will be resurrected. And they will be resurrected to one of two states, either to life with God or life without God. Life in him or an eternal death. Life in the light or life forever in the darkness. And Paul wants the Colossians to understand that something has happened in Jesus. He is the firstborn from amongst the dead, not only for those that will die in Christ, he is the firstborn from amongst the dead because the message is this, everybody will die and everybody will live again, but only those who have followed this firstborn will live with him. Everyone else will live without him. The reason for all things will draw those who follow him to be with him. That makes sense. And the reason for all things will let those who reject him live without him. That also makes sense. Even if it is difficult, no one will be in a lost eternity who hasn't chosen it. So what are you choosing? He is the firstborn from amongst the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. I look around the world tonight. I don't think, it looks like God has first place in everything, does it? It doesn't look like he has first place in Northern Ireland. It doesn't look like he has first place in our culture. Sometimes it doesn't look like he has first place in our lives. And yet the reality is that because he has died and risen again, he is now seated at the right hand of his father and he has the preeminence. He is already reigning. But one day, the reality of that reign that we don't always see will become a reality that we do see and we do experience and the world sees. That's why when everything is falling apart, he is the only one that can hold us together. 
And Paul makes it clear. The reason for it is simple. For in him, verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to understand God's character, look at Jesus. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. Now listen to this verse. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Everything. The reconciliation pathway for your life is Jesus. The reconciliation pathway for your family is Jesus. The reconciliation pathway for Northern Ireland is Jesus. The reconciliation pathway for our broken lives, our broken bodies, our broken minds, our broken hearts is Jesus. Paul did not make a mistake when he said through him to reconcile all things. And how does he do it? What is the medium? What is the currency with which God has achieved that? Well, we're told in verse 20 at the end, by making peace through the blood of his cross. What holds us together when everything is falling apart? Jesus. Why? Because he was before all things. All things have their life in him. He is the DNA that holds the universe together. And as the son of God, he was willing to come and live and die and rise again and bear our weight and understand our pathway. And he has the power to fix everything that is wrong in the world and in our lives and in our hearts. And he does it through his death and through his resurrection. That's why I'm a Christian. It's not a wish and a hope and a prayer. I have a philosophical, theological, logical, intellectual commitment to this Jesus. It's not an emotional whim. It's not an idea. It's not a, a hope and a prayer. It's not a kind of loose thing that I think, well, I hope in the end it'll all work out. I believe that the Bible tells me the truth about him. And that with all of my questions and with all of the uncertainty around the world, he is the logic and the reason that holds the universe together. And he loves me. He knows me. He died for me. As I stare into the face of death, he's the only one that stares out with the eyes of life. As I stand in darkness, he is the light. As I sit with uncertainty, he is certainty. As I watch life crumble, he is life and builds it up. This isn't some kind of weak hope or aspiration. This is a deep conviction based on the logicality of who Jesus claims to be. And if who he claims to be is really true, if he is really the reason behind all things, if he really is the glue that holds the universe together and every breath we take is dependent on him, then where else would you go to try and have your life put together when it's falling apart? Why would you go somewhere else rather than to him? And here's the thing that I will never understand. I said it this morning in a different context. And I'm saying it again now. As my last thought, I'm pleased with myself. 
They've been preaching 26 and a half minutes for those of you that are interested. He's here. The power that holds the universe together is in this room in East Link Road. How could that be? He's sitting beside you. Don't turn to the person beside you and look at them and say, ooh. <laughs> That's remarkable. That is remarkable. And when my life falls apart, as it has, he's there. When I think I can't take another step, he's there. When you go through a dark season and you get up every morning and think I can't face another day, he's there and he says, well, face it with me. When you come to the end of yourself, he's there. When your heart's broken, he's there. When you have a thousand questions, he's there. Why? Because the one that holds everything together has made the promises that we began this message with. He said to you, I'm not going to leave you. And if he said it, he means it. Because if he breaks that promise, the whole universe begins to collapse. If this God, if this Jesus really is this God and this glue can you understand why if he breaks one of his promises everything collapses because if he breaks one of them then nothing is dependable anymore but he's never broken a promise and he never will he'll never walk away from us he'll never abandon us he'll never leave us and if we are in him here is what he says get this I don't understand it, but I believe it with every fiber of my being. If I am in this reason for all things, then here's the reciprocal arrangement that he has made with me. If I am in you, Lord, where are you? And he replies, I am in you, Malcolm. Everywhere I go, he goes. When I lie down to sleep, he's there. Every time I breathe, he is present. He is not only beside me and before me and behind me and under me and above me, he is in me. Quite good news. So when my life falls apart, the only one that can put it back together, the only one that can hold it together is the one who made the universe but I don't have to go searching for him. He has taken up residence in me because I have committed my life to him. So where are you tonight? What are you facing at home? What are you facing here? If your world is falling apart, it's not just about how you feel. It's not just about emotion. It's not just about feeling, sensing something. It's holding on to this promise. He was before all things. And in him... All things hold together, including you, if you let them. Let's pray. I look out across this congregation and I see 
sisters and brothers that I've known now for 15 or 16 months, and I know some of your lives have fallen apart. I know you've walked through dark nights. I know that it's been a difficult year for many of you. So let me speak to you first. Some of you have buried loved ones recently, some a year ago, some longer ago than that. Some of you have had strokes. Some of you have faced debilitating illness. Some of you have walked through the darkest nights. Some of you have lost people. Some of you are wondering about the future. You're worried about what's going to happen next. Some of you are worried about your family tonight that are unwell and you want to know that everything's going to be all right. And you feel as if your life has fallen apart a hundred times or 10 times or 20 times. Let me encourage you. He holds you together. I want to pray that you will be held together by the center of the universe. So as I pray, you quietly and gently lift your own heart to God. Lord, I want to pray first tonight for my sisters and brothers who are in the faith, whose lives feel as if they have been rocked by uncertainty and pain and sorrow. Would you please remind them that you hold them together? Those who are sitting in this room now weeping. Those online who are at the verge of giving up, Lord, speak your word into their hearts. Remind them that you are the created, the creator, the one that sustains all things. Give them hope in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who are desperately praying for their loved ones tonight because they are sick. Because they're receiving treatment. Because they're uncertain about what will happen tomorrow. Lord, we thank you that you are the ultimate source of life. And that you know what they are going through. You know what every person faces. Come by your spirit, Lord. And give courage and confidence and hope and strength to everyone. And I pray for those tonight here or online that do not know you. You keep giving them the gift of life too. You've sustained them with every breath. You've allowed them to be alive on earth. Now reveal yourself to them. Open their eyes that they might see who Jesus truly is. And that their whole world might be changed by his power and his grace. As they come to you now, as they open their hearts to you, as they say, I need this life in me. I need this strength in me. I need your grace in me. Lord, would you receive them? Would you forgive them? Would you renew them? And would you give them courage and hope? 